Trigger warning. The following podcast may contain sensitive material. Sexual violence, sexual assault, and abuse are among the topics mentioned on Dear Me, You Survived. Please keep your mental health in mind before listening and know there are resources out there to help you cope. Good morning. It might not be morning for you, but it's morning for me. I got my coffee. My children are still sleeping. I couldn't sleep, so I was like, let me go record, keep my promise, and I kept my promise. Here I am, recording part two. Also, I already have my next episode recorded for you guys, so... If you thought I was going to disappear for three months again, think again. Not this time. Maybe next time. Anyways, so last episode, we talked about Paul Adams. Um, I read the article that I found that sparked my interest in the case. Um, I'm just going to do a little um, recap. And... I will finish the case off for you. Um, Before I get started reading, just a little, I guess that's not really a teaser, but the next episode after this one is going to be another one of our listeners telling her story. Um, Just a reminder, if you would like to submit your story, you can email me at chelseamark3191 at gmail.com, C-H-E-L-S-E-A-M-A-R-K, 3191 at gmail.com, or you can find me on Instagram at C-S-A underscore Trauma Tribe. Um, You can message me there as well. Everything stays confidential unless you would like to use your name. Um, Either way is fine, whether you want to be anonymous or whether you would like to use your name. Um, Anything is fine with me just as long as you feel comfortable telling your story. All right, so like we talked about last week, um, the Adams family, they were pretty much, I mean, they weren't pretty much, but they seemed like a normal functioning family. You know, they lived in their home. Apparently, I was saying the wife's name wrong. I was saying Liza. I looked it up. It's actually pronounced Lisa. Um... And also, in the last episode, I kept saying clergy. I mean, clergy, but it's actually pronounced clergy. So, sorry about that. It's kind of hard for me to listen to that episode now because I'm like, oh my god. I keep saying clergy, 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 and it's not clergy. Um, Yeah, so anyways, Lisa, you know, she took on most of the child-rearing duties 
Paul Adams was a Border Patrol agent. I forgot to mention that in the beginning. Um, I did mention it later, but my bad. He was the Border Patrol agent. And then Shanice War, who was the children's Sunday school teacher and also Lisa's um, best friend. She was also a Border Patrol agent. Um, You know, she said that Paul had a short fuse and a horrible temper. He had this explosive personality. Lisa may have had autism or Asperger's. I did only find that in one source. Um, Paul spent a lot of time online watching porn, often with his children watching. He wandered the house naked or only in his underwear, which is really weird if you have six children in the house. Um... In 2010, when Paul Adams' only daughter, known as MJ, was just five years old, he confessed to Bishop John Herod that he had molested his own daughter. After this confession, um, Bishop Herod followed church protocol and called the Mormon Abuse Hotline. The hotline was established in 1995 when legal claims of sex abuse against churches were on the rise. At the time, Lawsuits were awarding victims millions of dollars, and the Mormon church was especially vulnerable, being that it was self-insured. Before the hotline was established, bishops were to comply with local child sex abuse reporting laws. When the hotline was established, it operated in the Office of Risk Management, not the Department of Family Services. In a sworn statement, officials of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints said the helpline is staffed by social workers who destroy records of all calls at the close of each day. These calls received are referred to attorneys with the Curtin McConkie Law Firm in Salt Lake City. All calls are protected by attorney-client privilege, leaving no record accessible to possible victim attorneys. Okay, so I believe this is where we left off. Um, So that was a little recap for you. And here we go with the rest of the case. It was this law office where Bishop Herod's call was answered by... Utah Republican State Representative Merrill F. Nelson. Have you heard of him? Because I haven't. Um, Apparently, he's going to be retiring in a year, but um, he is now a Republican State Representative. At the time, he was a lawyer for the firm. Herod was advised by Merrill F. Nelson not to report the abuse to authorities and, quote, that he could be sued if he reported and the instruction by counsel not to report Paul to the authorities was the law in Arizona and had nothing to do with church doctrine. Although the bishop did not notify police of the abuse, he did, however, notify the girl's mother, Lisa, with the hopes that she would take the children away from the home where they were being abused. Sources claim Bishop Herod believed this was a one-time occurrence and was not ongoing. He brought Lisa Adams into a counseling session with Paul Adams and had him confess in front of her to the sexual abuse of their daughter. Um, At the time of the confession, MJ was the family's only daughter. When Herod called Lisa into the counseling session and listened to her husband recount his abuse of their daughter she quote seemed pretty emotionally dead um that that quote was from bishop herod 
Um, and it was because of this reaction that Herod would later state to an agent working the case against the Adams that he knew Lisa was like unlikely to stop her husband. The bishop admits he recognized the harm being done to MJ and stated, quote, I doubt she will ever do well. Like, dude, you doubt she will ever do well and you recognize the harm being done to her, but you still don't make sure that her abuser gets away from her. It doesn't make sense to me. Anyway, Herod asked Lisa in multiple counseling sessions if the abuse was ongoing and asked her, quote, what are we going to do to stop it? Um, Bishop Herod claims he attempted to prevent future abuse upon MJ and her siblings. He encouraged Paul to turn himself into authorities, which obviously Paul refused. I mean, why would he want to affect his lifestyle that he's enjoying? Sick man. Um, Herod also encouraged Paul to separate from his home, which he did, but only temporarily. Herod encouraged both Paul and Lisa to get professional help um, with a therapist. And he believes that would have triggered mandatory reporting, even though he is a mandatory reporter. But okay. He encouraged Lisa to go to authorities, which she responded with, quote, if he goes to jail, then what will I do? I'll just have to keep the kids safe myself. Because remember, she didn't work. It was only Paul who worked. He was the breadwinner. So I guess instead of removing her children from this evil, disgusting man, and, you know, figuring it out, having her family help or something, she was like, okay, I'll just handle it myself. I could never, I could never live in a household where your husband freaking admitted in front of you, like, hey, I'm doing this to our daughter. And you're just like, okay, like, we'll figure it out. Hell no. I would be gone he would be D-E-A-D. Don't let me get freaking reported. Yeah, couldn't do it. Um, Herod claims he advised against that, but thought she would keep her kids away because she promised. Um, he recollects telling Lisa to make sure, quote, he's never home alone with the kids. Lisa responded, quote, yeah, he's never home alone with them. I'm always there when he's there. Bishop John Herod assumed the abuse stopped and he didn't ask again. Paul continued molesting and raping his oldest daughter for at least five more years and would also go on to rape her young infant sister as well. The mandatory reporting law says that clergy, physicians, nurses, or anyone caring for a child who believes the child has been abused or neglected has a legal obligation to report to police or the State Department of Child Safety. However, it also states clergy who receive information about
about the neglect or sexual abuse during spiritual confession, quote, may withhold the information from authorities if the clergy determines it is, quote, reasonable and necessary. Arizona is only one of the 33 states in the U.S. that actually maintains the clergy penitent privilege that exempts clergy from reporting child abuse information obtained through confessionals. The statute does not address whether the confessional communication exemption applies to confessions of past abuse only or whether reporting is required when abuse is believed to be ongoing. Bisbee left the church. Well, he didn't leave the church. He left his um, his position in the Bisbee location in 2012. And the oncoming bishop, Robert Kim Mozzie, um, Herod told Bishop Mozzie about the abuse going on within the Adams household. But Mozzie, when he contacted the church officials, he was also advised to keep the information within the church. So, um, yeah, it stayed within the church. Later, Mozzie said church officials advised him to convene a confidential disciplinary hearing for Paul, and that resulted in excommunicating Paul in 2013. Um, So yeah, I guess 2013, he was no longer a part of the church. A 2010 handbook for church leaders says, quote, The first responsibility of the church in abuse cases is to help those who have been abused and protect those who may be vulnerable to future abuse. Abuse cannot be tolerated in any form, unquote. Uh, I'm sorry. Did the whole church forget to read the handbook? No one did this for the Adams children. Not one person. Nobody from the church, not their mother, nothing. And that's in the church leader's handbook. Yeah, it's just really sad. Really, really sad. Um, I just don't understand, like, when do you choose what's more important, your faith or the children who are in your church, you know, part of your faith? that you clearly see it's affecting them and you think they will never do good, but you're still putting your faith and the rules of your faith before the well-being of a child who is also following your faith. It's really sad, really, really sad. It is unclear the exact reason Paul was excommunicated from the church because both Paul's wife, Lisa, and her best friend, Shawnice, claimed Paul had sex with his own mother back in 2011. If that's true, I guess we know where this all started. No excuse for his action, but seems to be like a family type thing. Disgusting. Shawnice stated she thought she remembered Paul being excommunicated for that reason. Um, And not for him abusing his daughter. But I don't think we, I don't think I found 
the exact reason why he was excommunicated. Obviously, it's in church records, so um, we probably will never be able to find out that information unless the laws change. In 2015, the Adams family welcomed their second daughter, who Paul began to sexually abuse at the age of only six weeks old. And as far as Lisa, as a mother, how do you claim not to notice that your children are being raped, abused? Six weeks old? Later, Paul would describe to investigators the difficulty he had trying to vaginally penetrate his recently born infant daughter. Fucking disgusting. Paul is fucking disgusting. How do you get off to that? Not only did he do the action, he also recorded it. He was recording the abuse that he was inflicting upon his recently born infant daughter too. Really fucking sad. He claimed the abuse abuse upon his children was a compulsion that he couldn't stop. He said, quote, I got into something too deep that I just couldn't pull myself out of. How did you get there in the first place is my question. You're in too deep. What the hell made you and initially be like, hey, you know, let me do this to my daughter. You have a fucking wife right there. Obviously, you guys are banging. You have six kids. Disgusting human being. So if you were feeling any type of remorse for him, please do not. He bragged in online chat rooms that he, quote, had the perfect lifestyle. He was able to have sex with his daughters. Yeah, that's called rape. Um, Whenever he pleased. And his wife knew, but, quote, doesn't care. Yeah, that's obvious. We know that she doesn't care because this shit has been going on and he admitted to it in front of her. I know there had to be clear physical signs, especially upon the infant. He's working all the time. You're home with the children. Obviously, you're the one changing the diapers and you don't notice that your six-week-old child, you know, in her diaper, something's going on. There's no way you can't notice that. Um, Paul forced his older daughter to hold his smartphone and record him while he sexually abused her. In one instance, MJ was to hold her father's smartphone and record while he sexually assaulted her for 11 minutes. It was this video that caused Paul Adams to finally be stopped after six or seven years of unreported abuse upon his children. I don't know why I keep saying abuse. Unreported abuse upon his children. In 2016, a video surfaced in Auckland, New Zealand, of a man in his 30s raping his 10-year-old daughter. The video was found on the cell phone of a 47-year-old farm worker who was arrested on child porn charges. And then a global search for the little girl and the perpetrator ensued. The pursuit included the FBI and the Department of Homeland Security. Thank you to facial recognition technology, they were able to find the man in the video 
and match it to a passport card photo of a U.S. Border Patrol agent, Paul Adams. Adams was arrested on February 8th, 2017 at the NACO, Arizona border station where he worked. I don't know if I said that right. Hopefully I did. The home of Paul was then raided where they found piles of clothing and empty lubricant bottles used to abuse his children. The raid also turned up 4,000 photos and 1,000 videos on um, phones and computers that were taken into custody. And all of these videos and pictures were of child sexual abuse, and many of them contained the two Adam's daughters. The young girl from the video, MJ, and her five siblings were rescued from the home in Bisbee, Arizona. Lisa Adams was also arrested. She pleaded no contest to two counts of child abuse and took a plea deal, which she only ended up serving two and a half years in prison and four years probation. Um, that doesn't seem like enough for me, but okay. In an attempt for leniency from the judge, Lisa Adams' defense attorney contended that Lisa did her best to protect her children, but, quote, relied too much, unquote, on guidance from local church officials. Mm, I don't know, but what in what part did you do your, de- your best to protect your children? At what point were you like, okay, the church's advice isn't working and I need to protect my children? That never happened because she never even came forward the whole time after he admitted to doing it. It wasn't just the church that was quiet. It was also his wife. And she obviously would have never said anything if he wouldn't have gotten caught. And then she got wrapped up in the case, and that's why she took a plea deal. So, um, Lisa relocated to Illinois, I think after being released from jail. Um, after serving her time. And she's currently being supervised by Illinois Adult Probation. Um, Her attorney has petitioned to grant early termination of her probation, which is set to run through October of 2024. I think I saw that um, in June, she will have a trial to, um, or not a trial, a hearing, to determine if she's going to be released early from her probation or not. Hopefully not. She does not deserve it. Um, set to run through October 2024. Sorry, I lost my spot. Judge Laura Cardinal, um, the judge ruling in the case against Paul Adams, ruled that the church may not refuse to answer questions or turn over documents under the state's, quote, clergy penitent privilege. The judge ruled on August 8th that the late Paul Adams, yes, late Paul Adams, we'll get there, he waived his right to keep his confession secret when he posted videos of himself sexually abusing his two daughters on the internet, boasted about the abuse on social media, 
and confess to federal law enforcement agents. Um, yeah, 100% agree. It's not a secret when you're out here freaking showing the world what you're doing, you sick fuck. Paul Adams hung himself on December 9th, 2022 in his one-person cell the day after he learned he would stand trial on federal child porn charges and state child sex abuse charges. So he went and took the easy way out, but good riddance. We don't need that fucking disgusting man on this earth. Some of the six children were taken in by Lisa Adams' extended family, where three still remain today, and the two daughters and one son who were sexually abused by their father were adopted into different families. Um, You know, with Lisa being out of jail and on probation, um, I really, really hope that she's not able to get back in contact with her children. I know that we might have different opinions about that. And I know sometimes people are able to change, but you knew what your husband was doing to your kids and you kept them there. Um, You know, they were all six taken from her for a reason. So obviously she was not fit to be a mother. And I think that she still is not fit to be a mother. But that's just my opinion. MJ's baby sister was only two years old when she met her adoptive mother, Miranda Whitworth. When the baby met her now adoptive mother, um, she wrapped her arms and her legs around Miranda's head and buried her face in Miranda's neck and refused to look up to say goodbye to a member of Lisa's family. That's very telling. This baby just met a random woman, and she's just ready to be with that woman. You know, she felt safe with that woman, and that woman is a complete stranger. It was very telling of what she was coming from. Miranda and her husband, Matthew, they would continue to see markers of unfathomable abuse in the toddler's behavior. She would howl in terror when any man attempted to touch her as a two-year-old. That's heartbreaking. She was terrified of water. She would not tolerate anything wrapped around her waist. She would hide behind Miranda when greeted by an old family nickname within the church because, yes, the Whitworths, um, they did newly convert to Mormon. Um, But after learning the facts of the case that their new foster daughter was involved in, they removed their records from the church. Matthew Whitworth said, quote, I personally couldn't continue to provide tithing money to a church that would allow young children to be abused and not do anything to prevent it. Standing ovation for Matthew Whitworth. That is amazing. Um, I love that. Not to be sexist. Um, okay, maybe a little bit sexist, I guess. But I, I didn't expect that type of statement coming from the husband. I would expect the wife. But you know what? Good for him. I feel confident that this baby is in a very good home. 
And I hope that remains true forever and ever. But I love that. You know, he removed himself from the church after realizing that was the reason that he had this baby in his care in the first place. MJ, the oldest daughter, she met her adoptive mother, Nancy Salmonin. After Nancy received an urgent call to rescue a 12-year-old girl from another family. Over the last five years, Nancy has opened her home to 17 boys and girls who needed a safe place to stay. Nancy says MJ was, quote, pretty scared and pretty confused when I picked her up. She spent a lot of time in her closet in her room when we got home. Nancy didn't know too many details of MJ's past until she sat in for Lisa's court hearings. Quote, what I heard made me want to throw up, and the more I learned, the more I wanted to help her fight this fight that she didn't even know about, Nancy said. MJ is now a bubbly 16-year-old who plays in her high school band and works a fast food job. Quote, she had every excuse to fail, but instead she came back stronger, her adoptive mother says. Although MJ's abuse is over, sadly, the pictures and the videos of her abuse still circulate the internet. Um, and that's the reason that she uses her initials only it's to protect her identity because those videos and those pictures are still circulating. The 11 minute video that resulted in her biological father's arrest has contributed to nearly 800 arrests on child porn charges in 2021 alone. So clearly that video is still circulating um, because 800 arrests in one year, that's a lot. That also tells you there's a lot of sick motherfuckers out there. National Center of Missing and Exploited Children has cataloged identities of those arrested who may have trafficked or possessed the thousands of images of MJ's abuse and have given that information to MJ's lawyer. Her lawyer can sue each perpetrator for up to $150,000 in restitution under federal, federal, under federal civil law. Um, that doesn't include the lawsuits that they could also go for in like a civil case. Um, that's just in the federal case. So, I mean, potentially she could get more if she ever wanted to. Um, She appears eager to play an active role in the battle that her and her two siblings are waging against the church. Lynn Cadigan is representing the three Adams children in a lawsuit filed against the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and several members, including Bishop Herod and Bishop Mozzie, negligence and conspiring to cover up child sexual abuse to avoid costly lawsuits and to protect the reputation of the church. Um, I did see in a source that they were also trying to add the birth mother, Lisa, to this case, um, but I'm not sure if they will have success doing that or not. I'll have to keep looking in the future to see if that's uh, possible. 
An affidavit included in sealed documents says the con- that the church condemns child sexual abuse and suggests the church is more concerned about the spiritual well-being of perpetrators than of young victims. Yes. Yes, that is 100% true. Because Paul Adams clearly was like, hey, I'm doing this to my kid. And they were like, don't worry, we're not going to say anything because you confessed. Meanwhile, MJ over there is deteriorating. And the bishop said that he saw it himself and did nothing. Church officials say, quote, if members had any concern that their disciplinary files could be read by a secular judge or attorney or be presented to a jury as evidence in a public trial, their willingness to confess and repent for their souls to be saved would be seriously compromised. Can we just think on that for a minute? I'll read it one more time. If members had any concern that their disciplinary files could be read by a secular judge or attorney or be presented to a jury as evidence in a public trial, their willingness to confess and repent and for their souls to be saved would be seriously compromised. How disgusting is that? Like, yes, confess to me what you did and keep doing it and your secret is safe with us because we want to save your soul. How about take some action and get him away from the person that he's abusing and then maybe send him to God like all these other perpetrators do in jail, hand them the Bible, and all of a sudden they're this big religious person who wants to go to heaven. This man did not care about his soul being saved. How he confessed in the first place, I have no idea. But he clearly had no desire to have his soul saved because look what he went on to do. The videos, the pictures, the abuse of the infant child. How was your soul saved? Just saying, hey, this is what I'm doing. And now I get to go to heaven. Disgusting. Attorney William Maladon, he was representing the church, and he says that the two bishops were advised that they were exempt from reporting requirements, which is true because they were advised by the Republican representative, like I said. Maladon says, quote, these bishops did nothing wrong. They didn't violate the law, and therefore they can't be held liable. I read that there's a law that exempts mandatory reporters from any type of um, backlash as far as like being sued and, you know, stuff like that, um, that they're, they're protected automatically because they're a mandatory reporter. So, I mean, if they really cared, they would have looked up the laws themselves Instead of just saying, hey, he said for us not to report, we're just not going to report. He also called the Adams children lawsuit a, quote, money grab. I'm sorry, these are three children under the age of 18. And you're calling this a money grab? How is it a money grab? The church knew of the abuse going on and they said nothing. So it's not like this is just 
made up and it's like, hey, let's try to get some money out of it. That's not what it is. You guys knew what was going on. You guys never said anything. You're still not contributing to, you know, getting these children justice, but it's a money grab. The toddler girl's adoptive parents, they joined suit with no hopes of a payday. They just want the law changed. They said, quote, we don't understand why they're paying all these lawyers to fight this. Just change the policy. That was what the Whitworth said. Child abuse festers and grows in secrecy, says Lynn Cadigan. Quote, it's the most important thing in the world to immediately report to the police. That was the, that's the end of what I have for you guys. Um, and I just want to clarify, when the judge ruled that the church cannot refuse to answer questions or to turn over documents, um, the church appealed that. That's what I was talking about in the article that I read at first. The church appealed that and they were successful. So as of right now, they do not have to turn over those records. Um, those records remain with them, within the church and the law firm that is working with them. Um, so I guess we just kind of have to stay tuned and see if that will ever be overturned and if they'll ever have to give that information up. Um, I also saw that there is a lawsuit against the church from other children. Um, and it's like 12,000 pages long or something like that of sealed documents. Um, and it's mostly going after the law firm who received all of these reports of abuse upon children. And they just, I mean, destroyed those records. So let's hope for some type of justice for not only the Adams children, but all of the children who are suffering at the hands of um, this church. I just want to thank you guys for listening. I did put a poll on both of these episodes to vote if you guys want to hear more like this, you know, cases about this type of abuse, or if you think it's boring and too mainstream. I did think it was interesting to include these types of cases just so that, you know, people that kind of feel like they're alone, they know that they're not alone and this does happen a lot out there. Um, I know a lot of these cases do result in no justice for the children, but an example of it having some type of good is this case right here. You know, these three children who were abused at the hands of their own father, and I would say their mother as well, they did get placed into new families, and these families welcomed them and loved them, and now they're trying to get justice for them and also to save children in the future by changing a policy. Um, so don't forget to vote. Give me some feedback. Let me know what you like. Let me know what you think. And I'll be posting the next episode after this one, maybe. 
the end of this week or maybe next week. Stay tuned because it's coming soon. And uh, I'll see you guys next episode. Thanks for listening. You are my sunshine, my sunshine. You made me happy. If you or someone you know may be experiencing sexual assault, please contact the National Sexual Assault Hotline at 800-656-4673. Or you can chat online at online.rain.org. That's online.rain.org.